Hello and welcome to JP Morgan's Global Data Pod. I am your host, Nora Santivani from the Global Economics Team. Joining me today are my colleagues, Raphael Bern Aguer from the Euro Economics Team and Dan Silver from the US Economics Team. So, in today's uh, research wrap podcast, we want to talk about the inflation outlook. Um, in particular, the near-term outlook, you know, what's been driving the recent one of the softer CPI data, why we think the inflation slide could extend into uh, the first half of this year. Now, you know, just to start off by recognizing that much of the, the central bank uh, discourse has focused on the stickiness in services inflation, elevate, elevated wage costs, the need to ease labor markets, you know, but meanwhile, there is a already a very powerful disinflation underway in the other half of the CPI basket, namely goods. Uh, Globally, we see that consumer energy prices have been falling for the last two quarters. Core goods inflation has slid to about a 2% annualized pace in the fourth quarter uh, from 6% in the first half, food inflation easing also modestly. You know, together, these three components have helped uh, global headline CPI gains to come off to about a 4.5% annualized gain. So that's, uh, you know, that's less than half of what it was in the first half of last year. Now, in, in, uh, in a research piece we put out last week, we argued that the slide in goods inflation is going to extend into uh, the the early part of 2023, uh, dropping the rate on global goods inflation to just 1% annualized. So that's actually below its pre-pandemic trend. And we had identified three broad disinflationary impulses here. The first one was the food and energy price shocks uh, fading and and, responding with a lack to the decline in the globally traded commodity prices. Uh, as the Russia uh, shock, uh, invasion shock fades from the scene. The second one is the manufacturing sector globally, which is now contracting uh, and weak uh, global demand for goods, which should depress pricing power. And the third one is really the disinflationary impact of the supply chain normalization that we think will uh, probably reach its maximum impact uh, during the coming months um, as, as that kind of works uh, with the lag and how it transmits to consumer prices. Uh, I think what's worth highlighting here is against this broad trend, uh, we, should, uh, we should recognize that the, the inflation decline we saw in the second half of last year was also very uneven across regions and, and countries. Uh, as we anticipated, a very large gap opened up between the US and Europe in particular. Uh, We had uh, US headline inflation falling to a 3% annualized pace, but Euro area was still somewhere around 9%. And uh, Rafael can correct me on the the details, but uh, that gap was very large uh, into the end of last year. So I think this is probably a good segue into kind of trying to understand that gap and and also talking a bit about where we see that uh, uh, going forward. Uh, Dan, maybe we can start with you. So the U.S. has seen, uh, you know, one of the most rapid slides in in goods inflation uh, over the last uh, six months. You know, in your mind, what has driven this move? You know, how how sustainable are are the kind of rates we're seeing right now? Sure. So I think we can split the the goods category, the core goods category into two main stories or two very broad stories. So one is 
what's going on with the auto sector, what's going on with vehicle prices. And then the second is, let's say everything else, which we'll, we'll lump together for, for simplicity. And I think on the auto story, uh, vehicle prices have been a big part of the inflation story over the past, or I guess the two plus years around the onset of the pandemic, where we had vehicle prices uh, very high or, or increasing very rapidly, uh, largely because of supply, supply chain disruptions. And we've seen improvement on the supply side and inventories are still pretty low, but they've been moving higher in recent months and we've seen prices come down. So I guess if we look over the year through September, vehicle prices were up almost 10%. And over the three months since then, I think prices are down at about a 13% annualized rate. That's a a very big uh, turnaround on vehicle prices. And vehicle prices are about, uh, or vehicles are about a third of the the core goods basket. So that's Mm -hmm. been, you know, a really important story here and a big story. And then, you know, everything else, which I'll, I'll be a little bit coy about going into all of the details, but I think you've seen some other deflationary forces uh, energy prices coming off, which passes through into, into shipping costs, uh, a dollar drag or import price drag with uh, the dollar appreciating that does weigh on, on imported inflation for the U.S. Um, and I guess I'd also put you know supply chains more broadly in there as well, and that it's not just the auto sector that has dealt with uh, supply chain issues. I think there have been other areas as well. So you know those are kind of the, the main factors I would think about when we think about how how goods goods inflation has changed recently. Yeah. Okay, so there's definitely a common global factor here, which is the supply chain disruptions easing that really should have benefited the rest of the world as well. But clearly, there's some idiosyncratic factors there uh, pushing goods prices down in the US, you know, the the strong dollar, at least through October, uh, and then the the vehicle prices, as you mentioned. I mean, Raphael, obviously, those idiosyncratic factors haven't really been present in the eurozone, right? So in, in your mind, like what's what's the main explanation for why euro area goods inflation has just remained so much higher than uh, than the US? Okay, well, uh, there was something as well that was uh, specific in terms of uh, the region. So if I uh, think in terms of gas prices and electricity prices as a result, because electricity prices in the European markets are are linked to gas prices. Uh, we use gas to produce electricity. But effectively, um, we had that very sharp increase in uh, these energy prices. Um, it started effectively before the, the Ukraine conflict, but the, the Ukraine conflict made it um, uh, even um, a, a larger move. And um, as a result, we um, have seen energy price inflation uh, increasing to a large extent, but uh, also uh, core goods, we've seen the pressure on core goods prices being intensifying. So you mentioned supply chain issues, this is something that played for uh, core goods prices, but uh, we could see that certainly during the course of 2022, Every month, the pressure on core goods prices was significant. That is a result of uh, energy prices being passed through to uh, core goods prices. Now, going forward, uh, that pressure should start to diminish. And effectively, the large decline that we've seen already in terms of gas and energy prices is one of the reasons why we think um, that pressure is going to fade and uh, core goods price inflation is going to decline significantly in the coming months and quarters. 
Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Dan, how about in the U.S.? So, I mean, Raphael's talking about a very significant drop off in, in core goods inflation. I guess a lot of that has already played out in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. So from here onwards, should we expect further declines in, in core goods prices or are we kind of done with that part of the, the disinflation in the U.S. in your view? Yeah, so I think what we've seen over the past three months is probably the, the biggest in terms of declines. And, you know, I don't want to try to get too specific about the exact timing of all these things, but uh, at some point, we're not going to get vehicle prices dropping at, at the rate that they've been getting or they've been falling in, in recent months. And I think you're going to see some relative normalization here. They could keep moving down over time. We do think they're going to keep moving down over time. Um, but we think we're probably past the biggest of declines. And we've actually seen on, on the Mannheim index, which is a, a leading indicator of, of used vehicle prices, we actually have seen increases over the past two months, which suggests that you know what we've seen recently is not going to last forever. And similarly on, on the dollar, um, you know, Nora, I think you mentioned that we've seen dollar depreciation over the past mm, few months. Yeah. So we had you know a big run up into the, I guess, the fall or so. And then in more recent months, we've seen depreciation. So that's going the other way in terms of the inflationary pressure, the inflationary mm-hmm. shock. So, you know, I'd mm-hmm. expect we'd, we'd continue to see softness going forward on, on the good side, but probably not what we've seen uh, over the past three months being repeated. Yeah. And then on energy and food prices, anything in particular that you see in, in coming months, that, you know, an impulse either way? How well, do you see that going where? The energy price story, I think, uh, I don't know, is, is hard, hard to predict. So I don't want to... Uh, try to get too, too clever there. But I think on food prices, uh, you know, we have come off of a very strong run um, where I think through the middle of the year into, into late last year, uh, food prices have been really, really strong. And I think that came from a few different impulses. One is the, the commodity price shock, which I think have, has eased uh, both in terms of energy prices and also food commodities. And also uh, labor market shock is maybe easing a little bit where you have, you know, a tight labor market and wage pressure passing through on, onto food prices on the restaurant side. Um, so I think we're, you know, what we've seen recently is a clear downshift in food inflation. And I think that's, you know, we're probably past the firmest run there as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So broadly speaking, U.S. goods inflation, a large chunk of, chunk of it is behind us, but, you know, things should stay quite soft and, and low uh, in the near term. So Raphael, it really sounds like the big story is, is on your side, right, <laughs> for, for your area. And Europe more broadly, we should probably add Central Eastern Europe to the mix, which uh, of course saw much of the similar shocks to um, you know, gas prices and food. And um, on top of that, we saw um, you know, EM currencies weakening, at least through the first three quarters of last year, which then had limited the benefits of the um, fading commodity price and supply chain pressures. Um, but, you know, so things are now now look like they're going to reverse and we should see a pretty powerful uh, disinflation here. So core goods inflation coming off, supply chain pressure is easing, the food and energy shocks uh, have faded. Um, I guess one area which often come up, comes up, Raphael, now is uh, we've seen TTF, the European natural gas prices off, what, 50% from, from, from the peaks. Um, how will that really transmit into consumer energy prices, right? Because if we're now in a situation of governments potentially maybe phasing out subsidies or price caps, um, would, would we really expect to see big falls in energy CPI in, in coming months? Well, that, that pass-through is going to be, to some extent, muted. Um, the way to think about this is that in normal time, you should see that pass-through um, being complete in about six months. Now, 
at the moment, we have various measures across different countries. These measures um, are very, very different. So I'm just going to give you uh, two extremes. The first extreme is France. Um, you have some regulated gas and electricity prices. The fact that TTF prices have declined a lot in recent months doesn't really matter. These prices are set to increase at the start of the year and they would stay there. Um, the other extreme is Italy, where you have uh, very uh, little measures in place. So the pathway is going to be pretty complete very, very quickly. Um, and in between, you have uh, Germany and Spain with different sort of packages. I'm not going to get into the details, but the bottom line is from an expected decline in energy prices, uh, which should be the result of lower gas and electricity prices, you're going to have much less than expected. We overall um, changed the forecast last week uh, for headline inflation in the euro, in the euro area that is um, only related to that uh, gas channel into energy prices. Uh, we lowered it by seven tenths um, overall for the whole year by changing the assumption on gas from 150 to 75 euros per quarter. I see. Okay, so can you just then tell us how this translates into overall, you know, headline and core inflation um, dynamics in the ne next two quarters? Like, how much of a drop can we expect? As I mentioned in uh, Q4 last year, we were still running nine percent euro area annualized inflation. So where does that come off to? Well, very quickly, we're getting to something which is close to. 2% in terms of headlines, mm. you basically have the drag that is yeah. in place in terms of energy. So energy in the first quarter is going to be a significant negative number. It's going to be negative in, in the second quarter as well uh, before it starts to, to fade with, to something which is not a drag anymore. In terms of core, um, interestingly, I think we, we haven't changed the core profile. Um, the, the core profile is uh, the result of core goods um, uh, price inflation coming down. We've, we've talked about it already. Uh, we have much more stickiness on the services side. Now, thinking about the impact of the lower TTF profile this year onto core, what we've argued is the following. Um, we basically um, revised inflation lower. We revised growth higher so from a cyclical point of view. The cyclical position of your economy uh, on the real side is, is basically all else equal. Uh, going to be better. And you could think of these having a positive impact uh, on wage growth going forward and eventually having mm -hmm. a positive impact on medium term inflation. But what we've argued mm -hmm. is that at the same time, because we've uh, effectively um, lowered headline inflation, the starting point of wage negotiation down the line is going to be uh, a lower starting point. So if you take the wage Phillips curve that we have, it's on net something that results in no change. And we haven't changed the, the core inflation profile mm -hmm. um, that we have overall. Um, if we think in terms of the quarter on quarter changes, um, we effectively were running close to uh, somewhere between five and six percent in in the last two quarters of 2022, mm -hmm. uh, we are going to run somewhere close to three percent, slightly above that in the first half of this year, and gradually coming back to something which is slightly above two percent uh, mm -hmm. in the fourth quarter of 2023. Okay, so big big move down in headline inflation. Uh, you know, less less of an impact on on core. Um, 
just to broaden that out, I think to to the rest of EM, as I mentioned, Central Eastern Europe, you know, has been uh, a region affected by very much the same shocks as the euro area. EM more broadly, we've seen core goods inflation still remaining stubbornly high around 8% into the end of last year. So I think that's another uh, potential area where we could see inflation come down very sharply. EM currencies have rebounded versus the dollar since October by about 10%. Uh, we've seen uh, lower energy prices coming off. EM import prices are now falling at like a 5% pace. Uh, so I think as these uh, start to impact on consumer goods prices and you know inflation more broadly in EM, I think EM goods inflation should also come down pretty sharply here to about a 3% pace by the middle of the year. Uh, so, you know, so it feels like the next leg down in global inflation here is Europe. Uh, you know, a lot of that is headline food and energy shocks coming off, but also, you know, core core goods coming down and EM core goods inflation as well coming down pretty sharply. Um, whereas in the US, Dan, um, maybe you can just talk us through a little bit the near term numbers. It, it feels like uh, there's not so much of a, a big slide coming now in the next two quarters compared to what we've seen already. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think that's that's right. And okay. if we kind of break the year last year into into halves i think in the first half of the year core inflation was running around six tons per month uh in the second mm -hmm. half it was running around four tons per month a little bit below four tons per month and you know we'll probably be closer to that three or four tenths number as we think about the first six months of this year so mm -hmm. you know clearly yeah. a, a downshift relative to the first half of last year but yeah. kind of similar on net to where we were in the second yeah. half. Okay, great. So maybe we can move on to uh, how all of this will affect central bank thinking. You know, we are in an environment where uh, services inflation remains pretty sticky. Labor markets are quite tight. Um, wage data are running pretty strong. And at least in developed markets, central banks seem quite focused on that. So Dan, maybe starting with you, how do you think the Fed will respond to this situation of, you know, the goods part of inflation having come off pretty strongly, but maybe um, on the services side, things looking pre still pretty firm. Is this enough to get a get a pause here or how, how do we see that impacting the Fed's thinking? Yeah, so, so I don't think what we're seeing right now is enough for them to pause. And when we think about, you know, our, our outlook and what the, you know, the Fed officials are saying and what markets they think are pricing in is that there's going to be more tightening coming and we can argue about how much tightening is coming. Um, but I think, you know, the easing in, in goods prices uh, certainly helps them, you know, think about downshifting, think about pausing. Uh, they were hiking, you know, very aggressively for, for a run of a few meetings last year. Uh, we're now talking about, you know, 25 base point hikes, kind of a more normal, normal pace of tightening. So um, it definitely matters for the Fed. But I think, as, as you mentioned, there's really been this, this focus on the labor market and focus on services prices. And that's really where we haven't seen uh, clear softening yet. Um, and I think that's really it's going to be important in terms of how the Fed is viewing the outlook and that a lot of the, the goods numbers and the stories we've been talking about are in some sense temporary or transitory and are, you know they may continue to play out over the next you know few months but are not going to play out over the next few years um so i think that the labor market and services prices are really fundamental to, to what the fed does going forward great uh how about for the ecb uh rafael i mean it, it feels like we have a you know pretty aggressive tightening still in the forecast uh we have uh 125 basis points more um Lagarde sounds pretty hawkish, as hawkish as ever. 
Um, do you think this very sharp disinflation we're going to get in the next six months, even though it's headline, I understand, but core also comes off, could that somehow influence them in any way? Or is that kind of baked into their thinking already? Well, I think the starting point is is high inflation at the moment. So certainly um, this will influence the, the board generally um, as they go into the February meeting, probably the March meeting as well. Um, we were not too long ago at double digit numbers inflation rates. Um, now, the, the question that you ask is, is probably more questions, which is um, starting from the spring by then, um, we could see inflation having receded by a significant extent. So it could um, eventually change the way um, the ECB board members process the um, outlook for inflation. We would have some uh, new prints trying to get a sense of whether price pressure is diminishing. We should certainly, I would think, see that in terms of core goods prices. Um, a key thing is going to be what's going on with services prices. The pressure on a monthly basis at the moment is fairly moderate. It's it's higher than usual, but we're not talking about huge numbers. Um, and it's going to be about wage growth and the path through into especially services. Um, we think wage growth is going to continue. We think it's going to put pressure on services price inflation. Uh, but overall, services price inflation should decline because at, at the moment it's being impacted by the reopening. It's being impacted by uh, hotel prices, everything that is a leisure sector. Also, uh, we need to think about the, the food price channel, which has impacted restaurants prices, etc. So mm -hmm. once that leg, which should be temporary, is out, we should see um, some pressure that is potentially increasing in terms of, of wage uh, growth. Overall, we think um, we should um, come down slightly in terms of services price inflation, but it's, it's really, um, I think, based on the commentary, pretty clear that the ECB wants to move forward with more rate increases, uh, most likely at a pace that is quite significant. We have uh, a 50 basis point hike in the forecast in February, same uh, in March, and it's only in May that we step down in terms of the, the pace of hiking. And eventually by then we have seen inflation coming down fairly sharply and uh, the pressure on inflation in some ways diminishing, which should reinforce the sense that um, there is good traction towards a return towards the 2% objective towards the medium term. All right, so DM central banks uh, sounds like have more work to do in the near term and you know we'll be hiking at least through the first quarter uh, ECB probably into the second quarter. That's quite a contrast to what we're seeing in emerging markets here. Um, EMs, many of them have already uh, shifted in a, in a dovish direction. Uh, they're sending us signals here that they certainly don't want to be hiking anymore. Um, I think that's probably a combination of the inflation coming off uh, you know, but also the weaker dollar. Um, I think for Asia in particular, um, there's some anchoring from CNY strength that's helping to reduce financial stability risks. So we think, uh, you know, a number of EMs here will be looking to actually cut, start cutting rates uh, potentially already in the first half of the year. Uh, we've got rate cuts in our forecast in Peru and Chile and Russia, Hungary. Uh, in the second half, we've then got Brazil, India, South Africa, Czech. So um, EM certainly will be, I think, a bit more sensitive to this decline in goods inflation. I guess 
not surprising uh, given that they hiked early, they hiked quite aggressively and also goods make up two thirds of their CPI basket. So it's gonna be, have, have a pretty powerful impact on their uh, headline inflation rates coming off uh, in the near term. Okay, so uh, before we conclude, I guess a final question here, a bonus question is what about China, right? We've got China reopening. Isn't this going to be a source of reflation which kind of spoils this? Uh, disinflation trend that we're calling for top down. I mean, what I would add from my side is um, certainly we should think of this uh, goods disinflation in the near term as probably transitory. So it's going to fall below the pre-pandemic trend in the next uh, six months. But then I think absent a global recession, the impulses that are pushing goods price inflation lower now could then start to unwind in the second half. On top of that, you have the China reopening, gathering pace, the world's second largest economy growing 8% here for the next three quarters. You know, that's bound to fuel uh, global inflation pressures. Uh, initially, we think it will be just through uh, services inflation in, in Asia, affecting countries that are linked to um, China through tourism. But if we have large gains in manufacturing and retail spending in China, that will ultimately contribute, I think, to firming in global goods demand as well. And then obviously we have the commodity price channel, which for now we've uh, we've downplayed. Um, we are keeping the Brent crude forecast at assumption at $90 per barrel, uh, despite stronger demand from China. And that's largely due to uh, supply conditions also improving. Uh, but I would say risks to that are probably uh, to the upside. It's a second half story. I think the near term disinflation trend here in goods that we've outlined is um, is unlikely to get disrupted by um, China reopening. I think we'll wrap up there. Uh, thanks very much, Dan and, and, and Raphael uh, for joining me. And thanks to our listeners for following the Global Data Pod. We look forward to continuing the conversation in the next episode. Thank you all for listening to this edition of JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to the JP Morgan research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved.